like within the first 60 pages, it kind of really grabs you. It's got angels and demons fighting. And Somebody told me Spielberg bought the rights and then deep-sixed it because he didn't want Christianity. You know, I have no idea if that's true or not. theological anomalies in it that are just like, yeah, you know, it's kind of there for, uh, what do they call it, you know, just uh, drumming things up a little bit. So it's a good book. If you are into any type of Christian fiction, this, I, this would not be what I would call just an enjoyable read, even though it is an enjoyable read. God bless this present darkness. Frank Peretti, I've read it a couple times, really liked it. Talk with you later in Jesus. Welcome back to the Prophetic Imagination Station. We're very excited to start Season 4 which is Prophetic Imagination Station, Frank Peretti's America. And we decided to start this episode with some clips from a man who decided to review This Present Darkness, which first came out 33 years ago, the year I was born, but decided to review it on his iPad in 2018, which I think is pretty awesome. You can look up the full review on on, uh, YouTube. we, We put in some choice clips there. We'll put it on the show notes. Yeah, so we're so excited for season four, Frank Peretti's America. This is something I've been threatening to do for a while now. But yeah, we're going to have an amazing season. We interviewed some really cool people, something we Mm -hmm. haven't done on this podcast before. I was able to read a bunch of books and really dig in. And yeah, we're going to have an awesome time talking about... This Present Darkness, written by Frank Peretti. This is actually the first, we're just going to go over the first chapter of like 45 chapters. Just go through chapter by chapter. Just kidding. <laughs> I bet some people are sweating. Let's right. Why do you say that? We're not going to do that. There would be so much sighing each week. I feel like that was, at the end of our last season, it was just more and more sighs. Yeah, so... This Present Darkness is a really long book, but first, should we sort of like talk about who Frank Peretti is and why we're doing a podcast Mm -hmm. on him and one book in particular that he wrote? Yeah, because that's, I think, a really good question. A lot of people think like, wouldn't you go with Left Behind? That seems really significant. This was really written like before we were, the year I was born and when you were two years old. Yeah, so I mean... What we as the Prophetic Imagination Station like to do is we like to overthink, right, things about our childhood and growing up squarely in, like, white American evangelicalism, right? And so we like to look at cultural artifacts of our communities, like Adventures in Odyssey, McGee and Me, VeggieTales. We've done all that. Mm -hmm. This Present Darkness is a novel that came out in 1986 written by sort of a nobody, 
by the name of Frank Peretti. And Frank Peretti grew up in like an Assemblies of God household. And he has some really interesting personal backstory that we will get into a little bit later on in this episode. Um, And he, I believe he was a pastor for for a while and sort of filled out of that. And then was just working at a ski shop and uh, wrote a novel. That's what I think is so interesting. Like, you know, you probably some of you have met pastors that are burnt out, right? They left the ministry for one reason Mm -hmm. or another. And then just like working like a side job and just to think like he's working at the ski factory, burnt out, and then writes this really long novel about spiritual warfare. Yeah. And I believe he was around your age. So he was around 33 years old when he wrote it. Um, and yeah, it's basically, I don't know. Should I try and like recap it in 30 seconds like well, we used to do? I mean, how you said it's pretty long. So I think you get an extra 10 seconds. So I get 40 just... seconds? Recap it in 40 seconds. That would it's be like, great. I feel like it's 500 pages long. Maybe it's not really that long. <laughs> it felt that way. I think it is. I reread it for this podcast. And I think, I want to be clear. You you don't have to have read the book to enjoy this podcast series. I certainly didn't. <laughs> I literally didn't. I'm a really slow reader. All right. There's no way you were slogging through that. So, Crispin is going to be the proxy for you, the audience. He did not read this book he did not reread it i will be the expert here on all things frank peretti right Mm -hmm. i did read one of his kids books just in solidarity but that was like 150 pages and we're probably gonna have to do a whole episode on that right we'll see how much energy we have Mm -hmm. if this breaks our spirit if the devil attacks us and we're somehow unable to record a podcast there was lots of spiritual warfare in the recording of your interviews oh my gosh the devil tried to get us down (laughs) which tells us that this is meant to be out there. So many camera malfunctions. So many demons just covering up the cameras with their little wings. Right. I know. I didn't yeah. pray enough. And mm. that's what happened. Yeah. So an overview of the book. This present darkness published in 1986. Are you ready? Are you timing me? Mm. Yeah. You're not Go. really timing me. Yo. Okay. So it's the story of a small town somewhere in rural America called Ashton. And in Ashton, there is, like, one pastor he's sort of new at this little church. And he's, like, getting in all this trouble with the parishioners. And they're, like, trying to vote him out. But it's just because he tried to kick out an adulterer because that's what you do if you love the Bible. Then all this weird stuff is going on. And then there's, like, demons. And uh, there's also angels. And then the angels get stronger if the people of God pray. And then there's also this newspaper. And this new newspaper man. And he's trying to uncover the truth. And his intrepid reporter, Bernice, her sister like died but it was under mysterious circumstances is actually because everybody at the college is under the possession of demons and the demons are trying to take over but then there's like a small group of christians they band together they pray and even though a bunch of terrible things happen in the end they show that there's this really evil demonic corporation trying to take over the entire town wow did i do it i think so yeah totally Woo! started it i mean you're within a minute Wow. I'm very impressed. So that's the plot. All right. Yeah. And there's a lot more that happens in it. But the the main thing, like if, if you talk to anybody who grew up evangelical in the 80s and 90s, because this book wasn't just popular when it was published in 1986. In fact, it took a few years for it to sort of gain some traction in evangelical mainstream. Um, I would say probably the, the mid 90s, right, was like when you would find it in like most church libraries. Mm-hmm. And so before we discuss it much further, I want I wanted to talk about uh, 
how we came to this book in our childhoods. And I know you don't remember very much about it, but right. it was in your life, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. As you say that, like, I totally remember it on our little church library uh, shelf. Yeah. Right. And we were like a, a evangelical, like we were like the mega church version in a small town. So we weren't like one of those churches with a big library. I feel like the older, more traditional the church is, the bigger the library is. So why do churches have libraries, Crispin? To uh, let people borrow the Adventures and Odyssey albums. Yes. That's what I remember. Is that what you did? Yes. It was like all Adventures and Odyssey. And then like I just remember that pink pastel like cover, you know? Yeah. But I mean, it's an interesting thing to think about, right? Like, why do those exist? Mm -hmm. And why does like a Christian subculture of publishing is exist? Right. Right? Because you want to be sort of ensconced in that world and make sure mm -hmm. like your own worldview is being strengthened. Right. And you want to make like for us, mostly our parents is wanting us to read safe things. And that's something right. when I talk to people about this Reza Darkness, this thing comes up over and over again, which is either we read this book when we were kids or it was read to us when we were kids. <laughs> you knew somebody that it was read. Some of the people I interviewed. <laughs> okay. You had it read to Yes. Them. I mean, I can imagine reading it to our daughter. Not that I would, but if I did, I would just like skip a, a lot, lot of parts. And you don't even remember it. So right. these are not books for children. No. This Prince of Darkness is not a children's book. Right. It sort of reminds me of how you read Jurassic Park when you were like in middle school and then told your dad not to read them because there's too much swearing. Right. And I think I read this even before and there's way more horrifying things in this. Right. So how old were you when you read this present darkness or at least like read a few chapters? Did you read the whole thing? Yeah, I read the whole thing uh, when I was like 16. Oh. So, yeah, I was older. I read... Door in the Dragon's Throat, which was one of his kids' books when I was nine, and it scared me so bad. Actually, it was eight, because I got the book for my ninth birthday, and I had already read it. Yeah, so Frank Brady, he wrote this book. He ends up becoming this breakout star, sort of like the Christian Stephen King. Right. He writes a few more books in this vein, and then he eventually... Well, actually, the Cooper Kids was kind of early on in publishing. Mm -hmm. he, he started publishing these basically Indiana Jones ripoffs, but Christian right. yeah. um, for kids. And so that's how I think most of us got hooked. Maybe not. But yeah, I definitely read or had those books read to me when I was like eight. Mm -hmm. And I think I was 11 when I read This Present Darkness. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so I remember that. But then when I was like 16, I do remember being like, yeah, this... Like I actually had been pretty immersed in the charismatic up until that point. But it just being like a reinforcement of like, oh, yeah. And I actually, I was, I was telling you, I was at my grandma's house uh, in Central Oregon, just in her motor home. We were on furlough, very lonely, reading that. And I do remember thinking like, are there demons here? Because nobody lives here. Which is a oh, good question. Okay. Sort of like if a tree falls in the woods. Yeah. So I read it when I was 11 and... Which is... There's a, that's a big five-year difference. Yes. Um, and I do remember finding it very thrilling, right? Like, mm -hmm. I just would, you know, you wouldn't want to put it down. Like, just reading it cover to cover, even though it was a really big book, and being very entranced by the descriptions of demons. 
and he's just really into describing the demons all the time. They have, like, these big bulging eyes, and they breathe, like, sulfur breath, and they're always fighting with each other and, like, scrabbling. Does it feel repetitive? Yes! Totally! Yeah. Like, when I reread it last month, and especially the angels, the angels are boring as sin. I hate to say it, <laughs> but they are. But the angels, you know, have all these, like, fights, and their swords are, like, clashing with the... um scimitar is that how you say that word like mm. all the demons had like these weird curved knives mm-hmm. because they're asian i don't know it's <laughs> I was terrible say, i don't think demons are allowed to have swords well i've the never main, seen the main big demon is named rafar and he's the prince of babylon and he had some sort of weapon mm-hmm. but yeah <laughs> the demons were terrifying um i also and this is partly because i i Grew up in also in a house where we had some experience with the charismatic as well, and there's like two tiers of people, right? In mm-hmm. in those worlds, um, people who are more spiritually aware and they're like top tier Christians, and then people who are not spiritually aware. And so, of course, I really wanted to be spiritually aware, but mm-hmm. I would try so hard. I remember like looking at this like stairway one time and just being like. Somebody, I just remember, I don't know if it was like another kid, but somebody's like said they saw a demon there, you know? And so I'm like trying so hard to look and I couldn't see anything and feel like such conflicting emotions because on the one hand, I want to be spiritually elite. On the other hand, I don't want to see a demon, mm-hmm. you know? Like right. how freaky would that be if you could actually see them? And if you actually believed they were everywhere, like waiting to get you. Mm-hmm. around every corner mm-hmm. and so i almost thought about naming this podcast series a demon under every doily because that is like something we would say after people would read this present darkness they would see demons under every doily turns out that's actually a line from the sequel piercing the darkness one of the characters says that mm. um and i wanted to be that person i just never could and i'm terrible at lying mm. luckily mm-hmm. i always have been right. hopefully i always will be so i could never make it up yeah that i saw demons Right. Do you think and people were making it up? I don't know. I was thinking about that. In my experience, it was always like demons were behind things, but they weren't always like very rarely did I hear people talk about them they being like them. present. Okay. Right. But like praying against like demonic forces. Yeah. Is this a good time to like, I, I don't know. Do we need a trigger warning? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, just, I just feel like some of these things can get a little sticky when right when we talk about demons it can naturally go to uh talking about people being demon possessed people mm-hmm. um you know people trying to cast demons out of other people that's in my background definitely seeing that um and having some sort of traumatic experiences of seeing that happen to other people i don't know it can yeah. get pretty hairy and i do want to say like what what are we not doing in this podcast, Chris? We are not going to have any definitive answers in any way, shape, or form, right? Mm-hmm. If demons are real, if right. angels are real, mm-hmm. people really experience them. We are instead interested in exploring why was this book, which spiritual warfare is a huge component of it, mm-hmm. and help be, you know, it helped to awaken a large subset of the American population to like, oh my gosh, what if there's spiritual forces at play in my life? And mm-hmm. and I have a role in, in you know, in praying and being on the right team and, and winning, you know. Right. That's more what we're here to talk about. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, but I think that, I think you're right. There actually are like multiple trigger warnings, right? So one would be 
that the charismatic can be traumatizing, mm-hmm. right? Like that, like the movement, right? Yeah, totally. Um, which isn't just to condemn it, but no. just every every community has that potential to to wield power in ways that are traumatizing. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, there's a there's sexual abuse themes in this book mm-hmm. that are like, I mean, first of all, there's the topic, but also the narrative around them is horrendous. Yeah. So we just want to let people know ahead of time about that as well. Yeah. Whew. So you actually said a word. That triggered you? Now. <laughs> that made you. But it made me just want to go back to what I think the main thing happening with this book, which is a book about power. Mm. And it's a book that has shaped white American evangelicals and how they view power. And that includes mm-hmm. the spiritual realm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we talked to a lot of people and um, – most of them agreed that this present darkness just maps really well onto like the moral majority um, political agenda. And I think that's really important to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we can say that that's like what Frank Peretti intended and it's not really mm-hmm. our job to say that, but he wrote a book about a fear of losing power over small town, all white America in 1986 to large international um, pluralistic new age forces. And we need to do everything we can. The small group of people need to do everything they can to fight back and win the power and control. Mm-hmm. So does that sound familiar? Oh, it does. <laughs> Are we just going to keep doing the same thing over and over? I think that's like called recapitulating where you're like trying to overcome something from your past by... But it's this really, is all we talk about. Right, yeah. But it's really important that we look back at these things to understand why we're here, where we are now. Right. And where do we go forward? Also, I talked to like a church historian who we'll hear an interview with her in later episodes and she really legitimized me and she said... When people think of, like, what's the most impactful Christian fiction book that's been published in, like, the last few decades, like, what do most people say? What would you think? Left Behind. Yeah, yeah. So Left Behind is a huge deal. Mm -hmm. We do not want to tackle that. Yeah. I have too much trauma. I can't. I can't. we won't. (laughs) But this actual church historian said she thinks it's actually this present darkness. And Frank Peretti just goes totally under the radar. Nobody studies him. Nobody studies this present darkness. Nobody studies the cultural impact it had on shaping the worldview and theology of white American evangelicals. So that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And um, do you know how many copies that I, the book sold? I do know. You do? Yeah, I think. I, well, actually, I don't know if Okay, I know. you tell me. I know what it sold over. Okay. Because one of our guests studied books that sold over a million copies. Yeah. Right? And so I know it's over a million. But how much is it? So I've been, I don't know. I've I realize saying, I don't know. Yeah, I've been saying like 10 million, but it turns out I'm exaggerating. And I don't <laughs> know where I got that number, but it sounds really good. Yeah. That's not true. According to like the Wikipedia page, mm-hmm. which is linked to Crossway, the publisher, this Present Darkness has sold over like 2.7 million copies, which... Is a lot, yeah, but not like earth shattering, and yet it continues to have this like outsized influence. So I was like, okay, let's look up some other books that aren't fiction, but like were 
huge deals in my evangelical world. Mm-hmm. And so I, I thought of the prayer of Jabez. You remember the prayer of mm-hmm. Jabez? Did you ever read it? Mm-hmm. Totally. It's, yeah. It's like the stupidest, silliest, uh-huh. most prosperity gospel book. Well, right. how many copies of prayer of Jabez have been sold? What do you think? I'm going to say half a million. Half a million? I don't know. Nine million. Oh, whoa. I know. So we have This Prison Darkness, 2.7. The Prayer of Jabez is 9 million. Um, okay. But Prayer of Jabez was it's so tiny. small. It's like you just want to buy it and put it it's in your like pocket. It's like $5. And you probably like bought it to give it away. Yeah. Right. Okay. Now, how about The Purpose Driven Life? That was a big deal for a while too. Right. Yeah. How many copies do you think that sold? Um, I'm going to guess 5 million. 30 million. Whoa. I know. Okay, last question. Did you know that Boundaries by Cloud and Townsend sold more, has sold more than The Purpose Driven Life? Anyway. Really? Just a little trivia that That's I learned That's the counselor the tidbit for mm-hmm. y'all. Do you like that book? Do you like Boundaries? Yeah, it's real basic, okay, but it's good. Okay, good. Okay, well, good. Okay, last publishing trivia question. How many copies of the Left Behind series Wait, do I get a prize? Sold? Well, no, I've, I've failed all of these, so never mind. You don't get a prize. And usually our bets involve things we can't talk about on the air. So anyways, how many copies do you think Left Behind has sold? Just make a wild guess. Okay. You're so bad at this. So what's the, <laughs> right. you know, what's the heart? I feel like Left Behind had appeal beyond uh, the church. I could be wrong. Uh-huh. Uh, so I'm going to say if Purpose Driven Life's are 30, I'm mm-hmm. going to say 50 million. 80 million copies Whoa. here's the deal there were 16 of the left behind <laughs> books if you divide 80 by 16 you know what you get half a million wait five million <laughs> I, was, I knew that it was i was right it was just the decimal i gotta do it on a calculator it's not like i'm any better i'm a writer you're a counselor we don't know math <laughs> right. right yes so and we went to bible college where <laughs> where a math teacher just took prayer requests most she gave the... us all the answers and just prayed over us. Yes. That's what she did. Right. Which that is the way to get your prayers answered. If you're praying for your student success and then, and give, then them give them the answers. answers. I mean, not just giving us the answers. She wrote down how to get to the answers, like on the whiteboard for the <laughs> right. test. It's hard to explain, but basically we did not learn any math. <laughs> right. And we were dating at the time and we definitely didn't do any math. Okay. So it is a big deal. I mean, I mentioned this in the few of the interviews I did. My book has sold, I don't know, 7,000 copies <laughs> total. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm hoping my next book sells a tiny bit more than that. There's no way I'm getting anywhere close to Frank Peretti level, you know, book sales. Mm-hmm. So it's a big deal. And I think we've made the case for that. I don't know. Maybe yeah. we haven't. Well, I mean, you just kind of took that away because you talked about 80 million copies. Of Love Behind. And then, right, and oh! 2 million. But the thing is, it's it really is, like, timeless. It has a long shelf life. And that's the thing is, like, it's sat on church library shelves and people have read it. And oh, and people it still buy it. Right. Yeah, as... as uh one of the people we talked to is going to point out people are still buying this book mm-hmm. in droves and it really did impact theology. Yeah. And I, you can find it at Goodwill if you want. Can you? I'm sure. I feel like it's at every Goodwill I go to. Really? I had to search high and low to get it for this uh, podcast. Mm. Yeah. So I do want to maybe go over a few of the glaring problems with the book. 
And I think the one I want to start with is sort of the trigger warning you mentioned, which is Mm -hmm. there is a huge undercurrent theme in here of women being possessed by demons and then accusing upright and godly men of sexual misconduct, right, as a ploy of Satan so that these men will stop doing good work in the world. And we read, first I read a like a tweet series by someone named R.L. Stoller, and he works in sort of like the church abuse realm, right? Like he's on Twitter mm-hmm. and, he, and he writes about that. And then he, he wrote a piece for Fathom Magazine online, which we'll link to in the show notes, sort of highlighting this really troubling pattern in this present darkness where women are not believed because they are demon-possessed and it's just a, a ploy of Satan to take down godly men, which is a really depressingly familiar narrative from 2016. I mean, from any mm-hmm. year, but I would right, say from yeah. 2016 on, I, I just have really felt an uptick in that. And maybe that's because more stories are coming out, right, with Me Too and Church Too. Right, yeah. It's not like this is a new narrative, right. but it's this narrative that's been said behind closed doors over and over and over again that's actually seen the light of day. Yeah, and so I think I was shocked when I read his tweets. Mm-hmm. How did you feel when you read his piece, sort of, you know, Stoller's piece sort of outlining this? Right, yeah. I mean, I think it just, it was obviously really troubling. And I think what is, is like, maybe most troubling is everyone I've talked to. So I've talked to therapists about this that read it when it came out, and they're like, oh, yeah, I didn't even think about it. Like, it just went under the radar so much that one that tells us like we just accepted it right and yeah nobody was surprised right i mean, I mean everybody was surprised right yeah nobody exactly rem- nobody remembers that being a plot point but it's literally like it happens to at least four people and one of them is so disturbing there's one scene where marshall hogan like runs the newspaper he's like this good guy but he's sort of like a nominal christian and he has like this conversion experience in a jail cell but we'll get to that his daughter, Sandy, is like attending the local university and ends up with this new age professor and then just has a friend there at college and they end up like praying with this professor and doing a seance or something mm-hmm. and she gets demon possessed and whatever. Then she has a really bad relationship with her dad. Like they fight all the time, mm-hmm. even though she lives at home. And she's like kind of scared to come home sometimes and then one day Marshall is home with her. He's like really getting all these leads and really figuring out that the bad guys are like buying up all the land in Ashton. There's all this weird, weird nefarious stuff and they're in cahoots with the police department. And, you know, he's going to like publish it all. And then his daughter's there and she's like packing up all her stuff and trying to leave. And like he won't get out of the doorway. And she starts like crying and getting really angry. She like looks like she's demon possessed, you know. Mm. And she's like, you have to move. You have to get out of the way. And he's like, why? And she's like, because I'm scared of you and I need to leave. And he's like, why? And she's like, because you raped me. And like, so mm. it's like really intense. Mm-hmm. Right. And he's just like, what? And then she ends up like kicking and screaming and leaving. And then he gets arrested by the police and then gets sent to the jail where the good pastor Hank mm. is there because he also was accused <laughs> of rape oh my gosh but he actually did try to cast some demons out of this woman who is very sexualized in the book in fact 
I think it basically says she has sex with demons. It's mm. really weird. And mm-hmm. she's really coming on to him, but then he says no, and then she gets all demony and snarly and all this stuff. And then he like he like pushes her down, holds her mm-hmm. down. Like it gets very physical as he's trying uh-huh. to cast the demon out. Oh so so they're both in prison and they're both like, Oh, what are you in for? Oh, you too. Oh man. You know, just like oh, this whole buddy buddy thing. And then Marshall ends up coming to Jesus because he meets Hank in the okay. prison cell. Uh-huh. You know, so like what Satan intended for bad, God used for mm-hmm. good. And then... Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I w- that is so much right there, right? Right, yeah. I was like, I want to pause with that part, right? So basically, uh, she goes to college. She gets demon-possessed, comes back, and is like, you raped me. Yeah. Right? So that would be a, like, not a typical story of someone Right, other than the demon possession part, but to go to college and be like, oh my gosh, like around that time is a time where brains can start to process trauma. So, wait, you're saying that is or isn't a normal story? So, what I'm saying is that it is not uncommon for someone to go to college and at that age, like recognize trauma that they've repressed. Right. Right, because their brains are actually able to process it at that time and then go back home and be like, this thing happened. Right. Right. But no, no. So I'm not saying that it's. Oh, of course. I know. I'm saying, but the thing about this book is that it's all told from Marshall's perspective, right? Right. So this makes me wonder like, is Frank Peretti, like, it almost sounds like he just heard these stories and now he's like filling in the gaps. It's not like he came up with this on his own. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not like assigning, I'm not saying he did that, but I'm just saying like that narrative happens often enough that it, probably was like in a subconscious somewhere yeah and as an 11 year old talking about subconsciousness you know when i read that book i didn't remember that at all but what i do remember is the fear of young impressionable girls going off to colleges where they will be Mm. you know taken under the wing of demonic you know psychology teachers Mm -hmm. right and your brain will be swayed, like, away Mm. from the community that you love, right? And I Mm -hmm. definitely took a few college classes that I would come home and my parents were like, are you a socialist now? You know, Mm -hmm. like, very worried. And so that really stuck out to me. But it's so troubling to go back and be like, yeah, but that storyline revolved around young women accusing older, respected men in their lives of horrible things and then it being so easily dismissed and actually teaching people to dismiss those accusations especially when they happen to good godly upstanding men with power mm-hmm. right right yeah i mean that's yeah terrifying I feel like we're both just like trying to hold back tears right now well are you okay yeah it just i mean Whoever I have talked to about this book and this plot point in, in particular, like we, we come to the same place of, this is so bad, I, I don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. Except that's why we're doing this freaking podcast. Right. It needs to be out there in mm-hmm. the world. And we need to be able to go back and say, we absorb some really shitty things mm-hmm. about how the world should operate and who should be protected, who should be listened to. You know, most of the people in the book who are demon-possessed are female Mm. not all there's a there's a few cool women characters i must say but for the most part they exist to either like help and serve 
the the godly men doing the work or they're out to take them down mm-hmm. with the help of demons. Mm-hmm. And there's a few like foolish weak men who mm. go along with the demon possessed women. Mm. But yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, you were saying, I remember when you just started reading it, like just the way that he was writing about women. The was... way he writes about, so Hank is like the main pastor guy and he's like the good one. And he is just like one of my least favorite characters ever because he's just so insipid and everything he says is the most Christianese, Christianese mm-hmm. thing, uh-huh. you know, like, well, praise the Lord. I'm glad you're, I'm like, who says like, well, praise the Lord every other sentence. Mm-hmm. Ugh. But the way Peretti writes about Hank's wife, Mary, is just like makes my blood boil. She's just this really sweet, helpful, beautiful, like, you know, mm-hmm. that's basically what it says like 10 million times. Mm-hmm. Sweet, beautiful, helpful. Mm. Oh, sweet, beautiful, helpful, Mary. Mm. It's really annoying. Mm-hmm. She has no lines, really. Oh, yeah. okay. Right. So there's that huge theme. Uh-huh. But then there's also this like, bigger picture of like what's going on in this town ashton yeah that sort of like is mirroring like how evangelicals are feeling at this time i think so there's these big outside forces trying to take control of your schools of your churches um lock you up in jail for false accusations and um you know a theme i really want to keep digging into is this theme of there's most Christians are pretty nominal and there's just only like a, a core that get it right and really have this connection to divine power. And it's not actually a very um, Christian book, which we will explore with some of our guests, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like right. Jesus is not in this book at all. Um, but demons and angels are in ways that like are not biblical and there's anything wrong with like engaging in interesting thoughts about supernatural things like frank peretti also wrote one of his kids book involved this plot point about this like six-fingered giant Mm -hmm. right which comes from some weird verse in the bible about the children of half angels half women right the nephilim Mm -hmm. And then they roamed the earth and they were like giants and, and maybe that was Goliath. And so when I was a kid reading that book, it was just sort of like, wow, uh-huh. it was sort of like if Narnia was actually in our world and it was like kind of a Goosebumps kind of book, mm-hmm. except I wasn't allowed to read Goosebumps. So I don't know if it was like Goosebumps, but right. it was freaky, but like you loved reading it, right? right. Did you remember that one? That one was yeah, called totally. The Tombs of Anak. Right. Well, it's so, I mean, part of it is like. So many cultures uh, have this, like, mythology that's, like, interesting, right? Yeah. And, like, we sort of, like, disconnect ourselves from our own mythology. And so in in those books, like, Frank Preddy kind of, like, brings it back in this way. Yes. And I think that's one of the reasons why this book was so successful. And it wasn't just in charismatic circles. So he was mm-hmm. Assemblies of God, which we'll talk about later, is like a very intense Pentecostal background. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just Pentecostals and Charismatics who liked these books. Lots of people liked these books because he left space, I think, for Christians who, you know, maybe didn't speak in tongues and maybe didn't have these sort of wackier seeming charismatic experiences, but they are kind of sick of being told that only what they can see and only what they can intellectually assent to is real, mm-hmm. right? So, like, I do think that white Western Christians in the 80s were really disconnected from 
a connection to the spirit world. Do you mm-hmm. think? Yeah. Or like totally. the spiritual realm. You know, I don't even know right. what to call it because I was sort of raised in that too. Mm-hmm. And so I think people were hungering for like, is there something else going on right. out there? Yeah. I was just reading tonight um, about like the 1930s and 40s at Wheaton, uh, you know, it was Wheaton Bible College then. Um, about like the these like really it was when uh, reformed theology was was taking hold you know this is my favorite book gentler god Mm -hmm. but talking about how they were trying to make christianity intellectually respectable and that's like yes right that's totally like where we ended up is like we're gonna like have this very logical rational systematic like thing right that match that meshes with science mm-hmm. and then Peretti comes along and he's like I mean all he has to do is like look look at all the stuff in the bible that like doesn't fit with science and then people are intrigued oh that's really fascinating because both Frank Peretti's books and the left behind books I think sort of cater to people who are really dissatisfied with just mm-hmm. being rational Mm-hmm. Christians, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So totally. it makes sense. We have these like apocalyptic books on one end, and then we have these like spiritual warfare books on the other end, just like selling like hotcakes, mm-hmm. mostly to women who are just right. like, "Is there anything else out there? Is there something mm-hmm. more?" And like, how can I be a part of something bigger than myself? Right. And Amy Grant factors into that whole thing, which we will get to in one of our interviews. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned for that, people. Very excited about that part. What do you think it, why, why does this, it's both like ubiquitous, but why does it get so overlooked as being an influential book, do you think? I think that maybe the genre, like horror type books are kind of downplayed for their ethical and theological significance, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. As a genre. And the thing that people mostly remember of these books is like, oh yeah, it's all about the angels and demons, you know? Uh They don't really think about the culture war stuff happening Mm -hmm. and so that's what we're doing right yeah bringing that up to the forefront because that really is a huge part of these books and let's let's dive into frank peretti just for a minute here yes so frank peretti did not try to like make a manual for how to cast out demons or whatever but he obviously thought he knew how to do it the right way (laughs) and so that's in there but in later books that he wrote he would put like a disclaimer in the front saying this is not a spiritual warfare manual one of the things i think that is so interesting about him and after reading this present darkness i was pretty fired up i was pretty like not a not a fan of freddy um and then my friend tiffany who's also a therapist i'm just surrounded by therapists in my life (laughs) Which is good, because what would happen to me if I wasn't? Um, she told me to read... He he wrote a book that was like half autobiography and half sort of on the subject of bullying called The Wounded Spirit. And in it, he talks about growing up with like a really severe um, disability. He had a condition that like caused his tongue to swell up and it like would turn black and it would ooze like black liquid all down his the front of his face. And this was like... Up until he was like five or six, he couldn't talk. And they had to always be like cutting away his tongue because it would like grow out of his mouth and just hang out of his mouth. And so when he was in elementary school, he got bullied terribly for that. And then middle school, he experienced some real trauma as well in the locker room and stuff like that. And so he kinda, We don't know like to what extent. I mean, he, he basically says just boys like teasing him and, and making fun of him. But it was a really traumatic experience for him. And that's all he says about that. But... 
He wrote this book after Columbine happened, and I think it's really interesting. He was so troubled by these two boys who went in and and killed so many people at Columbine, and he basically said, like, if I had access to guns, like, who knows what I would have done as a teenager. I was so isolated. I was so scared and sad. I had been bullied so much that I fantasized about getting revenge, and this is what I think is interesting. He talked about when he was 13, he was obsessed with monsters. And he would, like, actually make huge, like, paper mache monster. Like, he made this huge Frankenstein head. And I don't think you told me that part. Yes, like, huge, right? Uh-huh. And um, sometimes him and his brother would, like, go and, like, put together these paper mache monsters and, like, go on the side of the road and just, like, put them <laughs> off and, like, put a spotlight on them and, like, try and scare cars that were, like, uh-huh. driving by. And he loved Fra- Frankenstein. He loved Godzilla. Um he loved all these creatures and he said they all had this commonality of being bullied themselves like <laughs> these mm-hmm. creatures did. But what he envied was that they were strong enough and big enough and had the power to fight back and retaliate. And he really envied that. And so him being obsessed with monsters, I think, is something that we don't want to psychoanalyze too much. But it is really interesting, and we see that in his books and what he loves to focus on. And he's really interested in evil. He's really interested in power. He's really interested in um, people who seem to not be winning and who maybe are being bullied by outside forces, um, being victorious in the end. And I just think that's kind of a fascinating Hmm. thing to think about. Right, yeah. So I was reading earlier today about uh, this theme, these themes of God's uh, sovereignty and then God's suffering mm. and how those, like if we build our theology on God's sovereignty, mm. then we try to rule and we try to make things as they should be, right? But if we have a theology that's based on suffering, then we're, we look to see the marginalized. Oh my gosh. That's it. Like what if Frank Peretti when he was 13 could have found solace in the fact that Jesus suffered mm-hmm. in his physical body, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And maybe he did. Right. But it seems like he more focused on, like, these monsters have suffered and I identify with them. And right. I somehow just need to get right and be able to access God's sovereignty and God's power. Right, yeah. God is, like, the older brother, right? That will, like... Or, if like, the ruler. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, in the sense, like, if you're getting beat up at school and you have a bigger older brother that you can pray to. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. I think that's totally it. Hmm. And we're trying to get more... You and I are both trying to more lean into the suffering servant theology because I think we've been so shaped by this other theology, which is why we're coming back right. rereading these books or not rereading them. Right. But that's okay. I was thinking with your church library question, remember when we went to the Mennonite church in Minneapolis, they had a huge library. Yes, but really good books. Right. Well, I mean, of course, they're Mennonites. <laughs> And that makes sense. Like, you have to, if you live in Empire. Mennonites had a great library. Right, yeah. And now we go to a church that, like, we don't have our own building. Right. Oh, a church library would be a great idea, though. Yeah. Wow. Right. Bring them back. Mm-hmm. There's actually so many good books being published. Right, yeah. A mobile library? Oh, we got to get thinking about this. Okay, so... We have a lot more to cover when it comes to this present darkness. This has just been sort of like an intro. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some amazing people that we can't wait to share some incredible interviews with you. You're going to learn a lot, not just about Frank Peretti, but his vision of America, which really neatly maps up to um, 
kind of where we're at politically with evangelicals as a voting block. Oh, imagine that. And as a current uh, situation we have going on uh, in the United States. Anything else you want to say, Crispin? No, I'm just really excited. Uh, I'm really glad that you overthought this so much. I love to do overthought it. Overthought it with a bunch of other people. I know! So this is going to be a really fun season. If you think I've overthought it, <laughs> wait till you meet some people who are literally experts in some of these things. <laughs> you have like a radar of finding <laughs> other overthinkers. Well, Twitter helps. Yeah, and speaking true. of Twitter helping, you know who has enabled us to like become so weirdly obsessed with something like Frank Freddy and this prison darkness. Our Patreon supporters. <gasps> I thought you were going to be like, no, who? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Without our Patreon supporters, we could never do this. If you want to join our awesome community, help us keep doing stuff like this. If I get enough peer pressure, I will do the left behind thing, but I don't want to. And then as soon as we get like seven more supporters, we're going to be doing some patron-only podcasts, which are going to be so awesome Mm -hmm. and include some of us yakking about these interviews and getting Mm -hmm. our thoughts on them. Yeah, you can find us on um, Patreon slash DL Mayfield, I think it is, or you can Uh just type in the Prophetic Imagination Station Patreon. We're also on Twitter. We have more Twitter followers now, which is really fun, Mm -hmm. um, at Prophetic Imagine. Without an E, right? Right. I figured that out today. Uh, because today I also got us on Spotify, on Stitcher, so there should not be a, there, we should be available on all the podcast platforms. Yay! And we actually, we changed our branding a little bit, and yeah, we're just having so much fun, Mm -hmm. and it's because of awesome people like you listening. We love the emails. Please keep sending us emails at propheticimaginationstation at gmail.com. Got a lot of emails about my sexy Christmas playlist. Yeah, we did. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you can listen to our Christmas episode. (laughs) (laughs) But we love hearing from you guys. Um, And also with our our Patreon uh, crew, we have a Facebook group. So it's been really fun to have more communication there as well. Talking about Michael Tate. Mm -hmm. (sighs) The DC Talk Trainer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of stuff. All these fun things. You know... Do you think we're ever going to run out of things to talk about when it comes to evangelicals and how they are politically and culturally, pop culturally engaged? That's what I'm going to pray for. That we don't have anything yes, to talk about. That we just run out of things to talk about. Oh my gosh. If you pray the, the right prayer, come. the angels will get stronger mm. and they will defeat all the demons of, what would we call them? Demons of... White Christian nationalism? Yeah, I was going to say white supremacy. Oh my gosh, so demonic. It's true. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I want to know what you think of prayer, but we'll have to get to that later. We'll get to that later. Right. If anybody, ha- if you have any thoughts on this present darkness, on Frank Peretti, on his view of America, if you have any weird charismatic stories that you wouldn't mind, you know, us talking about on air, please email us, tweet at us. We also have our own personal Twitter accounts. I'm D.L. Mayfield. And I'm K double underscore Mayfield. And uh, stay safe out there and uh, let us know if you see any demons under any doilies. We are so excited. Stay tuned to hear more.